Welcome to the Startup Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Joyce Franklin. If you work at a startup or a company with a startup attitude, this podcast is for you. Each week, we talk to an expert guest about financial success and lessons learned on the journey to long-term security. Many of you listening today might have heard about Startup Wealth on Michael Kitz's Financial Advisor Success Podcast. If this is your first episode, welcome. Today's discussion with entrepreneur Peter Herz is a little appetizer for the rest of the show. If you like it, I hope you'll check out the longer interviews I did with Oracle's first CFO, Roy Buckstein, Parenting Magazine founder, Robin Wolaner, former Tesla attorney, Mark Cameron White, and more. You can hear all of those for free wherever you're listening to this podcast. And please follow or subscribe to Startup Wealth in your podcast app. But now, let's get to my discussion with Peter Herz. Venture capital has a very high failure rate, but it also has uh, uh, some impressive successes. And it looks a lot maybe like Babe Ruth, who Uh, was the home run king, but also was the strikeout king. That's engineer and entrepreneur Peter Herz, the former CEO of Threeware, who's now a general partner at the niche VC investment firm First Course Capital. Peter's company Threeware launched in 1997, and it specialized in networked data storage. If you don't work in tech, the important thing to know about Threeware is that its storage solutions helped early internet companies like Google scale up a lot faster than they would have been able to otherwise. It sold to Applied Microcircuits Corporation in 2004 for $150 million, at which point Peter left the company. Then he found himself at a juncture that I wrote about in my book, between the end of one entrepreneurial journey and the beginning of the next. If you're in that position, you may be facing some really difficult questions. What should you do with yourself and your money? What should you focus on now? Most entrepreneurs I know said this what's next inflection point was one of the toughest. From moments of indecision like these, Peter turns to something called the decision tree, which was originally developed by the pioneering work of Jay Forrester at MIT and later the Decision Analysis Graduate Program at Stanford University and elsewhere. This is a powerful tool that can be used by anyone who faces a decision with an uncertain outcome, such as selling shares of stock in your company. Anytime you have to make a decision where you have a partial information and you're trying to make a call on how things will end up in the future when the future is unknown, it turns out that creating a decision tree and exploring the different scenarios as best as you can estimate what the alternatives look like can help you make a better decision. It may be helpful to look at an example of a decision tree to fully understand this. We've linked to a picture of one created by Peter in the show notes. A decision tree looks sort of like a family tree that's been turned on its side. One line branches out into several more lines, and each of those lines has branches of its own. The lines represent different outcomes of either a decision you make or a probability. In the example decision tree, the first three branches are a decision many at tech companies have. Should you hold all of your stock in a company, sell some, in this case half, or sell all of it? And emerging from each of those decisions are probabilistic outcomes. 
starting with $32.5 million of a single stock. If it's a great stock and you held all of it, in the best possible outcome, your stock is worth $57.5 million. But if the stock is what Peter calls a big bummer and you held all of it, you could lose $30 million when the value drops to $2.5 million. When I first interviewed Peter for my book, here's how he explained his approach to this example scenario. We recorded this in his office at the time, so pardon the audio quality. So rather than focusing on you should pick the best economic outcome, what you should do is avoid the worst, the, the chance of the worst possible outcome. That's how I talk through this. And, and it does eliminate the best path. The best outcome on this uh, particular chart that I just made up, these are all just uh, random numbers. The best outcome is if you hold everything and it turns into a great stock. So by designing out this part of the tree, you are leaving that mm -hmm. you know, huge outcome mm -hmm. on the table, mm -hmm. but you're also eliminating the craptastic outcome of losing almost everything. For Peter, the ideal outcome is usually in the middle, selling half of his stock and holding half of it. You know, I, as a rule, will sell half, and that way I'm always half right and also half wrong. So this is more like I could see someone looking at this chart and the decision analysis based on the numbers that are here and the percentages uh, says that the best economic outcome is selling everything now. And someone may not want to do that, mm -hmm. but you know, sell half looks pretty damn good mm -hmm. on this chart. It's within 10% of the sell all value. Of course, you don't really know if a stock has an exact 15% chance of being amazing and a 25% chance of being a disappointment. These numbers are an educated guess made by the stockholder and may be updated over time as new information comes in. Peter uses a plugin for Microsoft Excel that creates these decision trees and will update the expected value of each decision path as the input numbers change. Peter has generously offered the source Excel spreadsheet to our listeners. Look for it in the show notes. But the point is that you don't have complete control. Too few entrepreneurs are willing to accept how much of their future success or failure is driven by luck. If you are born in the middle class of a first world country, you've already won the lottery. And a lot of people don't recognize the role of luck in their lives. And they think that whatever happened so far in their life is a, a, a preordained reality, a fact that couldn't have turned out any differently. Uh, I think it's important to recognize the role of luck and to know that, you know, when you try something out, you know, it may work, it may not work. It may not work because you screwed up and, you know, that's a possibility and it may not work out because of bad luck. In my, my approach is kind of the reverse. If, if things don't work out, I focus mostly on what I did wrong and try to figure out how to improve. And if things work out, I view it more as luck. Peter says he first learned about the field of decision analysis when he was involved with a pharmaceutical R&D company. In fields like pharma or oil exploration, leaders have to use imperfect data to make decisions that represent millions or billions of dollars of investment. And so I actually asked myself the question, you know, has anyone done this in venture capital? Because as we started first course capital a couple of years ago, I thought that might be an interesting question to ask. And I uh, 
checked in with some of my uh, uh, pharma R&D uh, people who uh, are familiar with decision analysis, and they pointed me to Ulu Ventures, uh, which is a venture capital firm based in uh, Palo Alto, California. And uh, they are using decision analysis and decision trees to consider investments and to uh, uh, make investment decisions. It's part of their process. Today, Peter and his VC colleagues use decision trees all the time when deciding what companies to invest in. As I was describing earlier, in venture capital, the most common outcome is zero. But what we do with the decision tree is we develop a probability-weighted analysis of the outcome. So looking at all the different things that could happen, what if you take all the probabilities of those different scenarios, what's the probability-weighted outcome? And that's part of how we make our decisions in our investments. And uh, so far, it's, it's been a really helpful tool uh, and we find when we, because uh, we, we actually collaborate with the entrepreneurs in building the, the model. And so far, the feedback's been very positive because it, it's a pretty clear approach that makes sense to entrepreneurs. And I think a lot of venture capital makes less sense. It's more opaque where you don't really know why uh, a venture firm passed on your company However, the trees they use at First Course Capital are a lot more complex than the example one we just looked at, which is about what to do with a concentrated equity position in one company. When you've got a concentrated position, the way I modeled that out was there's basically one decision point. You own a giant pile of stock, and I modeled out that there were three alternative scenarios. You could either sit on it, hold it, you could sell half, or you could sell all of it and you know, basically built it based on that. And so it was one decision and then just three alternative uh, uh, paths. And, uh, and then there'd be different outcomes depending on uh, uh, the probabilities of those things. So it's a pretty simple tree. While the, the one we do for investing is uh, uh, something that has uh, multiple stages that you have to analyze. We end up really digging in with the entrepreneurs around uh, the market and the product, the team, and their uh, uh, financial and fundraising capacity. It's more work, but it, it takes maybe a week to do, whereas uh, the concentrated equity position is, is probably something that, that you could you know fill out and have a pretty good idea about within a half hour or an hour of thinking about it. If you want to read more about how to use the decision tree with a concentrated stock position in one company and the bigger picture of entrepreneurship, pick up a copy of my book, Startup Wealth, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Personal Financial Success and Long-Term Security. You can find Peter Hers at 1cc.vc. That's the number 1cc.vc, which is short for First Course Capital. That's Peter's venture firm, which invests in entrepreneurs who are innovating how we grow, produce, and distribute food. Thanks for listening to Startup Wealth. Today's show was produced by Eric Johnson from lightningpod.fm. Original theme music by Philip Reynolds-Price. To learn more about J.L. Franklin Wealth Planning and how we can help you protect your wealth, mitigate taxes, 
care for your family, and pursue your dreams, visit jlfwealth.com. We are a growing firm. If you are an experienced advisor who subscribes to our approach and wants to grow with us, please get in touch. If you like the show and want more, please rate and review Startup Wealth in your favorite podcast app. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should not be construed as specific investment, legal, tax, or financial planning advice. Please consult with your professional advisor before taking any action based on the content discussed.